Well, good morning, everybody. Let me add my word of welcome to you. I'm Mark Schultz. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, as Dan said just a minute ago, we are in the last week of this series that we've been calling Jesus Walks Into a Bar. And we've been envisioning conversations that Jesus would have if he had a chance to sit down and just kind of have a heart-to-heart with people of different religious backgrounds. Uh, But before we get to our last one, um, I've got a question that maybe I think a lot of us would want to ask Jesus. Let's watch. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? It's an important question. I'm sure we all want to know the answer. But, uh, but, if, but first, as I said, you know, this idea that, that what would Jesus say to people of different religious backgrounds? We've been basing this series in uh, the overall idea that what the world teaches us is that all world religions are basically the same. They may superficially look different. They may call their pastors different things or wear different kind of clothes for worship or, or, uh, or you know, have different holy books. But when you drill down deep enough, the fundamentals of all world religions are really the same. At least that's what the world says. But we've been saying, no, it's actually the exact opposite of that. That, uh, that religions might kind of sound similar or uh, have similar things that they say, but when you drill down deep enough, when you get at the fundamental things that are being taught, what we find is the world religions are teaching very, very different truths. And uh, we used this map to decide what we were going to talk about. This is a map of the second largest religious traditions by state across the country. And and so we've talked about things like Hinduism and uh, Buddhism and Islam and Judaism, those major religions that are represented here in America. But notice I said those were the second largest religions by state. What's the first largest religion still today in every single state in America? It's Christianity. In fact, three out of four Americans, 75% of Americans, if you ask them what religion they are, they will say, well, I'm a Christian. And uh, further, if you go and say, well, are you a member of a Christian church? 62% of them will say, yeah, yeah, I'm not only a Christian, I'm a member of a Christian church. But here's the interesting thing. Of those people that identify as Christians, less than 20% of them actually go to church with any kind of regularity. So if you're here this morning, you're weird, okay? I mean, seriously, you are. You are way out of step with mainstream America. You are way out of step with even mainstream Christian America because you go to church. And uh, when you talk to those people, again, that self-identify as Christians, if you ask them about those other world religions, they will say, well, all the world religions basically teach the same thing. In other words, what they're saying is, it's really not that important that I'm a Christian, I could be a, a, a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Jew. It really wouldn't matter because basically it's all the same. What they're really saying is they're Christians culturally, and that's really all. And maybe here's the most troubling thing of all. Uh, of those people that identify as Christians, if you ask them about Jesus, more than half of them will say, yeah, I believe Jesus existed, but he was just a man like you and me, and he, just, he sinned just like you, you and I do. That's what they believe about Jesus. You see, That's not Christianity, is it? They may say they're Christians, but there's a real problem there. And in fact, the problem gets worse when you ask them this question. 
If you ask people in America who identify as Christians, but they don't really go to church, uh, they, they, uh, they aren't sure about other world religions and things like that, if you ask them, how do people get to heaven? You know what the overwhelming answer is? By being a good person. That's how I get to heaven. And just one little word of caution here, too. It's easy for us that are here in church this morning to say, oh, those horrible people out there that uh, say they're Christians, but they don't really get what being a Christian's all about. The, the truth is there are a lot of people that are in church every Sunday who might answer this question the same way. Let me give you one example. In 1996, uh, Joseph Cardinal Bernadine, uh, the uh, cardinal over the archdiocese here in Chicago, uh, discovered that his cancer that he had been fighting for a number of years had come back. And, uh, and so he held a press conference, and I was watching it live on television when it happened, and um, he, he held this press conference, and he shared with all the reporters that had gathered that his cancer was back, and he had just gotten some very bad news from the doctors. He had been told he really, literally had weeks to live. And, and he shared that um, with, with the reporters, and, and then he said, I'll take some questions, and it was really interesting to watch these reporters try to figure out, well, what do we say? What should we ask? You know, and... And a couple of them said things that weren't really questions. They said, well, we're praying for you and things like that. But then one of the reporters actually did ask a question. And it was an interesting one. He said to Colonel Bernadine, Colonel Bernadine, do you believe when you die that you're going to go to heaven? And this is what Cardinal Bernadine said, word for word. I remember it clearly. He said, I certainly hope so. I've tried to be a good priest. In other words, he was saying... I, th I hope I've been good enough to get into heaven. Folks, is that really what Christianity is all about? Because, you know, if it is, then maybe those people that say the world religions are all the same are, are right. Because have you noticed every one of the world religions that we've talked about so far, it was all about what you do. Whether it's to get to heaven or to nirvana or to escape the cycle of reincarnation, whatever that is in all those world religions, it's all about what you do. And is that what Christianity is about too? Just being a good person? I think Jesus would have something very different to say to people that said, I'm a Christian, but who believed that getting to heaven was all about what we do. Now, fortunately, we have a story in the Bible where Jesus had a conversation with someone who believed that exact thing. So we don't have to speculate about what Jesus would say. We have a great story to see it, and it's in Matthew chapter 19. And in that, in that chapter of Matthew, we're told that a man came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? In other words, he was asking the same question that was in our little bumper video there. He was asking the same question that we were talking about with Christians. You know, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And notice, right away, Jesus challenges the assumption behind his question. Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. Who's he talking about? himself. He's talking about God. Jesus has said, you've got the premise to the question wrong. You're, you're asking about what you have to do to, what good thing you have to do to go to heaven, but, but, but you're missing the point. But, but then Jesus says, but okay, I'll play the game. Um, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Now the guy's not satisfied with that answer. And he comes back to Jesus and he says, no, 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 I want to know which commandments. Which commandments do I have to keep? Tell me clearly because I want to make sure I got my act together so I can go to heaven. And Jesus says, okay, don't murder, 
uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't offer false witness, honor your father and mother. Does that sound familiar at all? Ten Commandments, isn't it? At least it's the second half of the Ten Commandments, the ones that are all about how we treat one another. The first few commandments are about how we treat God, how we relate to God, and then the whole rest of the commandments are about how we treat one another. And so Jesus starts listing them. And then he ends with his own little summary for those commandments that he's used in other places in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's what you got to do. Now look what the guy says back to Jesus. He goes, okay, cool, I got that covered. I've done that. I've kept all those commandments, Jesus. Now, folks, he is lying. <laughs> and, and he's either lying to Jesus, in other words, he knows that he hasn't kept those commandments, and he's lying to Jesus, or maybe more likely, who's he lying to? Himself. He's lying to himself. He, he's convinced himself that he's a good person. He's convinced himself that he's kept all the commandments. He's convinced himself that he's loved everybody else the same way he loves himself, but he hasn't. So Jesus now really wants to press the point with him. And he says this, if you really want to be perfect, and notice what Jesus says, because folks, that's really what it's all about. It's not just how good is good enough. The only thing that's good enough for God is to be perfect, to keep every commandment all the time, every day, every time. In fact, in another place in the Bible, Jesus literally said that. He said, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. So he says, okay, to the guy, if you really want to be perfect, go sell all the stuff you've got, give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. Jesus knows the, the area of this guy's life that he won't let go of. He knows where the sin is in this guy's life. That, that Jesus knows that, that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he knows his heart isn't really in following Jesus. It's in his stuff. And so what happens? The guy, we're told, went away sad. What Jesus wanted was for the guy to look at Jesus and go, seriously, I can't do that? And Jesus would have gone, ah, okay, now let's talk. But that's not what the guy does. The guy decides his stuff is worth more to him than Jesus is. And he walks away. Now Jesus is going to use this situation to teach his disciples. Because you see, they've been standing there watching this whole conversation take place. And in fact, I would argue, Jesus is going to use this to teach the disciples the most important lesson he wanted them to learn. He looks in this moment at his disciples and he says to them, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, maybe some of you have read a devotion or something online or heard a sermon about the last part of that, this idea of a camel going through an eye of a needle. What was Jesus talking about? And, and you may have heard something like this, that in, in ancient cities in Jesus' day, they had these walls that would go around the cities, and they had a door in the wall, a huge door. And, uh, and that was the wall in the city gate, the, the gate that, where people all day could come in and out. And so they'd bring their camels and their, their donkeys, and, and they'd just come in and out of that gate during the day. But, but as it got close to evening, they would close the city gate and bar the city gate. And once that gate was closed, it would not open for anyone, didn't matter who you were, until the next morning. But, but in that gate was a smaller door and that was called the eye of the needle. And, uh, and, and so if you got there after dark, uh, you, you had to leave your camel and stuff outside, but at least you could get into the city and be safe. They would open that door for you. 
And as the story goes, what Jesus is talking about is, let's say you did get there with your camel, and you don't want to leave your camel and all your merchandise outside. Uh, so what you'd do is you'd, you'd unload the camel, and you'd carry all the stuff in through the little door yourself, because it wouldn't fit otherwise. And then you'd get that camel down on its knees, and you'd have to convince the camel to crawl on its knees through the door to get it into the city. And that's what Jesus meant by being really hard to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Have you, have you, some of you maybe heard that? Here's the problem with that. It's total baloney. I mean, it, it's, it's, there is not one shred of evidence in any archaeological digs or any, any information or any writings anywhere that they called that the eye of the needle. Somebody came, got that out of somewhere. I don't know. And, and there's never been any recorded example of any ancient writings of someone trying to get a camel through that little door. It's just it's, it's, somebody was trying to do a doctoral dissertation in theology, I think, and they kind of came up with that one. No, so what was Jesus trying to say to his disciples? What he was trying to help his disciples understand is that it's impossible. And in fact, that's exactly the conclusion the disciples come to. They look at Jesus when he says that it's harder to, you know, for a rich man to get into heaven than to get a camel through the eye of the needle, and they go, well, then who could be saved? And that's what Jesus wanted them to understand. That's what he was trying to get the rich young man to understand. And that's what he wants you and me to understand today. Folks, the most important lesson for you to take away from this whole series that we've been doing is this. That there is nothing you can do to make God love you. There isn't. There is not a thing you can do to make God love you. Or or maybe, let's put it another way, let's rephrase it a little. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven. You you cannot uh, be good enough to please God or to, to earn God's love. You can't. It's impossible. And that's what Jesus wanted the disciples to understand, and they they got it. The disciples looked at Jesus and they're like, well, not only rich men, nobody can get into heaven if that's the rule. And then Jesus looked at them, and and I love the New Living Translation of this verse, because it adds this word in there, intently. Jesus looked at them intently. Some translations don't have that, but the word there is is an ancient Greek word that doesn't just mean to look, It, it means more than that. It's the look your parents gave you when you were little, and they wanted you to really understand something, right? Or maybe it's the look that a loved one gave you when they were on their deathbed and there was something really important they wanted to share with you, kind of a last thing they wanted you to hear. Jesus looked at them intently and here's what he said. He said, humanly, it is impossible to save yourself. But then I picture Jesus getting a big grin on his face and he goes, but with God, all things are possible. You see, what Jesus was trying to get the disciples and that rich young man and us to understand um, is the same thing Paul was trying to get to the, the Roman church to understand when he wrote these words. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You cannot be good enough to please God. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And that way is Jesus. Folks, The reason there's nothing you can do to make God love you is because God already loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. And the reason that there's nothing you can do to save yourself is because there's nothing you have to do to save yourself. That salvation is already a gift that Jesus earned for you on the cross and he's given you freely. 
This is, we call this week Holy Week. It starts today on, on Palm Sunday. And, and by the way, just a little side note here, keep your Christian brothers and sisters in Egypt in your prayers. I don't know if you heard, but in their Palm Sunday services earlier today, two bombs went off at two different places, killing a lot of Christians who were gathering to begin Holy Week celebrations. So keep them in your prayers. And thank God that we live in a country where we can still freely worship God. But as we begin this Holy Week on this Palm Sunday and then as, as we go to Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and, and, and we, we stand before the foot of the cross and we see what Jesus did there for us, he wasn't just doing that to give us an example of how to be a good person. He was doing that to pay the price for our sins, to restore our relationship with our God. He, he, he gave his life so that we could be loved by God. And then next weekend on Easter Sunday, and I pray that you'll be with us for worship that weekend, we are going to celebrate that the resurrection of Jesus tells us that there is nothing we have to do, it is done. It is finished. He has conquered sin and death for you and for me. That's the good news. That's what Christianity is all about. Maybe here's another way uh, to think of it. How many of you have a mortgage? Yeah, okay, a lot of us, most of us, all right? I want you to imagine that Monday morning you got a phone call from your bank and, and the banker said to you, hey, your mortgage is paid in full. You're done. And you went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I got like 20 years to go. And, and the banker was like, nope, some guy walked in here on Friday, paid it all off for you. My guess is some of us would go, yeah, right, I don't believe that. And you'd still write the check at the end of the month, Okay. Or, or maybe some of us would go, well, tell me who this guy is because, because i got to find out what he wants me to do because I'm sure there's a string attached here. There's something i got to do to earn this. Or, or maybe it was like, no, I better clean my act up or the guy's going to find out that I, I'm you know, wasting this opportunity and he's going to want his money back or something like that. I'm sure we'd all think there's something we got to do. But in that situation, you're, there's nothing you have to do. It's done. It's just receive it. And that's the gift that God has for us. That's what the empty tomb means. Folks, it's done. There's nothing you can ever do to earn God's love, and that's okay because you already have that love because of Jesus. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And again, the good news is you don't have to save yourself. Jesus has done it for you. And that's what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Because they're all about what we do. And Christianity is about what God has done. And so when we talk about being more like Jesus, it's not so we can earn our way into heaven. It's simply so we can live the full and abundant life that he has earned for us and that he has given us. One, one last thing. Um, in the book of Acts, we're told about a guy by the name of Barnabas. Now, uh, Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. And, uh, and we're told that there were no needy people among the members of the early church because those who owned land or houses would sell them to bring the money to the apostles to give them to those that were in need. And then Barnabas is used as an example of one of those guys. Apparently his name was originally Joseph, but after he was very, very generous and, and sold a bunch of stuff that he had for the poor, they, they renamed him and they called, started calling him Barnabas. And as you read through the book of Acts, you find out that Barnabas went on some amazing missionary journeys with Paul and became just a powerful leader in the early church, a powerful evangelist with the gospel. But here's the cool thing. There are a lot of uh, theologians uh, that connect the dots and they believe that Barnabas was that rich young ruler in that story with Jesus. Isn't that cool? 
But yeah, he went away sad that day, but those words of Jesus continued to eat at him and and continued to break down his self-righteousness, and he started to be honest with himself about the fact that he wasn't keeping those commandments, and he started to realize that his possessions were not worth turning his back on Jesus. And and so that church tradition tells us that, that one day Barnabas came back, and he did sell it all so he could follow Jesus. Now, again, I don't know whether that's true or not. Maybe someday in heaven, Barnabas will come up to me and go, hey, I heard you preaching. That was not me, okay? I don't know. But, uh, but, but I like to think that, that that rich young man will be with us in heaven someday, that the words of Jesus had an effect in his life. And folks, it's not just that rich young man I'm worried about. It's, it's all the people I know who are either Buddhists or, or Hindus or Muslims or Jews or cultural Christians who are just missing out because they don't know about what Jesus has done for them. They think they have to do something. And Jesus wants to look at them and say, hey, it's finished, it's done, I've taken care of it for you. Folks, I pray that God will use us, I pray that God will use this series to, to help us be voices of hope and truth and love in people's lives. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, um, we come before you this morning, and first of all, thank you for the gift of Jesus. There's a little part of us that wants to think that we could somehow make ourselves good enough so that you would love us, so that you would let us into heaven, but, but there's another part of us that knows that that's just not possible. So Lord, thank you that we don't have to do a thing, that you've given us the gift of your love and your grace, and all we do is simply in response to that. And Lord, this morning, I want to pray, um, not only, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Egypt who um, literally risk their life each day to worship you, but I want to pray for all those people all over the world who may not know about your love and grace, whether they're neighbors across the street or people in faraway places. Lord, use us to speak your truth into their lives, but in such a way that they understand your love for their lives so that they can come to know you. Be with us forever in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for spending some time in God's word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.